Early morning rains in northeast Iowa are breaking up or have moved into Wisconsin. That was the start of what is expected to be an active several days of weather in the Midwest. We'll have a now what conversation about carbon pipelines. And it's Monday. That means it's time for an update from the world of used equipment. Live via Farm Journal broadcast on the date Johnny Carson was born, this is AgriTalk. This morning we'll hear from Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. Then we'll get some reaction to recent carbon news from RFA President and CEO Jeff Cooper. Right after the news with Ty and Morgan, we'll get a weather update from Brett Waltz of BAMWX. I'm producer Big Apple Joe Stackler, and now, the host of AgriTalk, here's Chip Flory. <laughs> well done, Joe. Well done, and thank you so much. I hope you had a good weekend, buddy. It was. Uh, it was busy, but good. Yeah. Yeah, you always have busy weekends. Yeah, lucky me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We had, It was busy around the Flory Ranch, too. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Lean 2 got a new roof. Uh, thanks to the boys for that. I appreciate the help on that. Uh, um, yeah, there. it was just uh, things were happening. Things were happening here. So, all right. Thanks, Joe, sure. and welcome to AgriTalk. I am Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us on this Monday morning. Um, thunder, lightning overnight, early this morning, made its way across eastern Iowa. It's breaking up now, but uh, we'll get the outlook from Brett Waltz coming up here in just a little bit, but it looks like it's going to be a fairly active week ahead. Right now, let's bring in the host of U.S. Farm Report, Tyne Morgan. Good morning, Tyne. How are you? I'm doing so well. How are you, Chip? We're doing just fine, just fine. Davis has got the day off, so... Tyne was gracious enough to come in and and, uh, put together some news for us. So let's go ahead and get started. What do you got? Well, first, I was going to say I hope Davis is somewhere warm, but it's been so warm here (laughs) in in Missouri lately that, I mean, it it feels like summer, Chip. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's cool this morning, but we're supposed to be more than 70 degrees this afternoon. And I'm telling you this, I don't know what it's like down where you're at, Tyne, the leaves are no longer turning. The leaves have turned. It is a, it is just color everywhere up here right now. Yeah, it's the colors definitely muted a little bit in some areas. We need we need some rain. But I'm telling you, yeah. talking to a lot of farmers in this area, some are going to finish up harvest because we just haven't had a yeah. lot of breaks due to due to little moisture. That'll change this week, which I'm sure we'll hear in the forecast. Well. The saga to find a new House speaker continues. That's after a closed-door meeting late last week, as well as consecutive failed votes, derailed Ohio Republican Jim Jordan's quest to become the next House speaker. Now, according to our Washington correspondent, Jim Wiesmeyer, there are now nine members entering the race, with House Majority Whip Tom Emmer, a Republican from Minnesota, dubbed an early favorite. But the race is on to find a new House speaker as President Biden is now asking Congress for $106 billion in an emergency aid package, The proposed money is for support to Israel and Ukraine, as well as bolstering border security and addressing humanitarian needs. Of the proposed aid, more than $61 billion is for Ukraine, with an emphasis on supplying Department of Defense equipment and replenishing weapon stocks, $14.3 billion is for Israel, and more than $9 billion would go toward humanitarian aid in Ukraine, Israel, and Gaza. 
Well, Friday's Catalan feed report chip shows an increase in the number of Catalan feed lots. lots. Mm -hmm. USDA reports feed lots with 1,000 or more head had a total of 11.6 million head of cattle as of October 1st. That's up 1% compared to the same time last year. It's also the second highest October 1st inventory since the report started in 1996. And chip feed yard placements, those shot up 6% from October 2022. And marketings, those fell 11%. Yeah, it it was a surprisingly bearish report that we got, and the market is showing it today. December live cattle down more than three bucks. February down more than three and a half bucks. November feeder cattle down two sixty. January down three twenty. So the market is reflecting it, and people are asking the question right now. Uh, you know, what is this cattle market telling us about the overall economic conditions out there? I think this is just a, you know, a one-off on a supply surprise. Uh, Honestly, I think that's all it is. Well, as we know, if you're looking to rebuild your cattle herd, it's going to cost more. And the size (laughs) of the average, the size of the average U.S. farm loan, though, Chip, is shrinking. That says more farmers look to be tapping into their cash reserves versus taking out a loan that comes with that higher interest rate. So the Kansas City Fed shows the number of new non-real estate farm loans was flat a year ago, but the average size of that loan is nearly 20% smaller. Operating loans over $1 million, those fell, which marks the third consecutive quarter of a decline there. Chevron looking to secure its dominance in the U.S. oil industry. The company announcing it will acquire Hess for $53 billion. The all-stock transaction allows Chevron to have a significant stake in Guyana, an emerging oil-producing nation. Chevron will now own a third of recoverable resources there. The country is home to what's equivalent to more than 3 billion barrels in those resources. This is the second big consolidation announcement within the U.S. oil industry the past few weeks. ExxonMobil recently announcing the acquisition of Pioneer Natural Resources Company for $58 billion. And new legislation chip is aimed mm-hmm. at blocking EPA's tailpipe emission rules. A coalition of 25 Senate Republicans have introduced the Choice in Automobile Retail's Sales Act. It's aimed at curbing EPA's tailpipe emission rules, which would effectively require two-thirds or 67% of new light-duty vehicles and 40% of medium-duty pickups and vans to be electric by 2032. The legislation is tied to a companion piece of legislation in the House to strike down EPA's proposal. Industry groups, including the American Petroleum Institute and the National Automotive Dealers Association have voiced their support for the bill, arguing the EPA rules are too aggressive and unattainable in the proposed time frame. And Chip, that's a look at your news on this Monday. Excellent. Thank you so much, Tyne. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chip. You bet. You bet. Tyne Morgan, host of U.S. Farm Report. Let's bring in Brett Waltz of BAMWX.com. Good morning, Brett. Uh, good morning, Chip. Wow. Uh, it rumbled through here early this morning, and it sounds like we've got uh, some additional fronts that are going to be making their way across the Midwest yet this week. Yeah, it sure did. And it's going to be a big deviation for a lot of people that uh, have had a drier fall. I, I think that there's some pretty heavy rain all the way from Texas through Oklahoma and then up in, up into your neck of the woods as we work late this week. And another system as we work late this weekend and into early next week. A lot of areas across the Midwest could see one, maybe even three inches of rain over the next eight or nine days. Yeah, and it sounds like it. It, it sounds like the wind's going to come along with it, Brett. Is that right? Yeah, it will. They're, they're, these are powerful 
powerful cold fronts. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, a lot of areas are going to see, you know, 30, 40 mile an hour wind gusts as these fronts actually sweep through. There's a number of them. There's two or three of them over the next nine days and maybe some snow across parts of North Dakota and the Southern Canadian prairies as well. I was trying to uh, avoid using the S word, but it's <laughs> going to be inevitable for us here before too long. I have a feeling. Uh, hey, you've got uh, BAM WX has a big seminar coming up on Wednesday. Tell me about it. Yeah, we do. It is our annual winter weather webinar. We're going to talk about the North American winter, but also South American growing season. We'll have our official forecast unveiled there, what the season's looking like down there, but also snow. You know, are some of these areas going to be replenished as we get throughout uh, this summer or winter time uh, it's bamwx.com slash webinar all right triple w.bamwx.com slash webinar it starts Three. at 10 o'clock central time on wednesday so you can either come back and listen to the podcast of agritalk or get registered and check out the recording of the webinar from bam wx later thanks brett we've got yep, machine repeat next at United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Machine repeat here, folks. This segment of AgriTalk brought to you by our friends at Dakota Ag Innovations, makers of Dakota Shine, the best way I've seen to fix faded paint. Go to dakotashine.com or call 888-996-7801. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Davis has got the day off, taking a long weekend, uh, getting together with some family and friends. So he'll be back with us tomorrow. Looking forward to getting him back in here. Uh, I'm also looking forward to the conversation with Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. And Greg's out on the road today, too. How you doing, buddy? I am doing well, Chip. Uh, how's your Monday going? No, we're off to a, a flying start. A little soggy, a little <laughs> soggy here in Northeast. Now, what did you you yeah. might have got it there in Rochester, too, huh? Yeah, we did. I, I was taking our our daughter and son-in-law and grandson up to the Minneapolis airport, uh, catch a flight back to Cincinnati this morning. And yeah, we drove through some heavy rain here uh, north yeah. of Rochester. So very welcome. I mean, overall, yep. we obviously were so dry, good for uh, next spring. So happy. To That's see right. You. That's right. And you never know. I mean, a, a lot of the rain that we get right now is going to go straight into the ground and, and the ground's going to hold on to it, but it could help lift that Mississippi just a little bit here and, and put a little, take a little pressure off the, the tugboat and the barge operators out there. Uh, but that's that for a conversation. Be nice. Yes, it certainly would be. <laughs> uh, that's for a conversation in the afternoon hour of AgriTalk. So let's get to it. What do you got for the pick of the week? Well, I didn't have too much choice this week, Chip. Uh, it was a tractor <laughs> sold a week ago today, last Monday night, actually online auction a collector sale out of uh, chesterfield illinois by handled auctioneering oh yeah this sale and the tractors on the sale really had people talking uh 
there was a somewhat of, well, not somewhat, but a rare John Deere 6030. Uh, it was a non-turbo. I only made 45 of those. So, you know, I, I think back in the day, early 70s there, I don't know if there was much interest in them. But anyway, this yeah. thing had people talking coming into the sale last Monday. Now, to set this up, all the years I've been tracking auction prices, yep. highest auction price ever on a 6030 was 64K. Back in, uh, I was on June 28th of 14, Bedford, Iowa, very famous collector auction. That was a restored open station. Just beautiful. 64K. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, this thing, last Monday night, the hammer price online was 141000 <laughs> Then you had to tack on 7% buyer's fee. It was $150,870. Mm. So, I mean, wow. It, it's just, yeah. you know, incredible. And, oh, by the way, it was another 60-30 on the auction last Monday night, a 70 model uh, with a cab, and it was restored. I think it only had 4,598 original hours on it. That brought 81855 and I felt sorry for it. It got lost in the wash of all the chatter on the 150,001, yeah. but that, it was just unbelievable. So number one and number two price for the 60-30s come off the same auction. Yeah, and by a factor, and you know, again, yeah. folks, I've seen lots, of, well, tons of sixty thirty sold, and they've been, you know, right at the heap with the twelve oh sixes and the D twenty ones, the most popular muscle tractors. As the collector dollars have shifted into that mode over the past decade plus, but I mean, this is, I mean, it's been happening to a higher degree now, and uh, again, you just can't, you just can't predict what it's going to do now we put out a promo on the auction in advance and that you could feel the heat. But again, 150,870 bucks was uh, really something. And what I appreciated on the discussion on our Facebook page was, okay, there were 45 of these made. Can you imagine if you own one of the other 44? Oh yeah. And you just watch this one go for 150,870. Now, sometimes it's hard to catch lightning in a bottle twice, but these days when you can promote on the internet and such, you know, machine yeah. repeat, whatever, uh, yeah, I think there'll be some people weren't planning on maybe thinking of selling, but now ooh, maybe, I, maybe I should. So that yeah. was quite a sale. Yeah, absolutely. It, just, uh, incredible. So what, what else happened at this sale? Well, again, I feel bad, but, uh, you know, how about this? Now that the fact that I didn't lead with this is amazing, but they also had a 1969 John Deere 5020 diesel fully restored with a canopy. Again, to set it up, highest I'd ever seen was 68 and a quarter on a Mecham auction two and a half years ago, and we know Mecham does an awesome job. So 68 and a quarter was the high water mark. Okay, this one brought 100000 and then tack on the 7%, so right at 7000 $107,000 for a 50-20. Now, it was restored. It had a 12-volt, 400-horse uh, uh, motor bought off the Kinsey auction a number of years ago, so it was not your standard 5020 obviously and it looked beautiful but 107,000 bucks they also had a 4020 front wheel assist uh that brought 43,121 they had a 4620 with a roll bar restored that brought 33,812 so it was it was quite a sale last monday in chesterfield illinois you know the amazing thing is is that these are items that are being sold you know as it obviously collector items um, but these are tractors that Greg, when you and I 
were <laughs> starting to pay attention to what was going on around us. These are the tractors that were out in the field doing the work. Yeah, we're getting old, my friend. That's all there is <laughs> to it. It's, uh, you know, but really, it's, it's, it's my machine repeat rule of 12, which okay. is whatever your favorite tractor is when you're 12, it's going to stick with you. Now, yep. when you get to be our age, you know, now, hopefully in your career, you, you weather the ups and downs. Maybe you have some more disposable income. The kids are gone. And you drift back to being 12 and your grandpa's 50-20 or 60-30 or whatever, 12-06. And when one comes along like this, yep. when emotions are involved, I'm not one to judge and say that was too high a price. You know, happiness is comes in different ways in life. And if it makes you happy to have a tractor like that, then God bless you. That is a beautiful thing. And you can't really put a price tag on that. That's right. That's right. Okay, you dropped a new podcast on Friday. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, it's perfect timing with this topic, antique tractors. I visited with my good friend, Kurt Amon, of course, Amon Vintage Power out of Nicomas, Illinois, and we just talked to the collector market. And by the way, folks, today, uh, day two of their annual fall five-day online collector auction, and today, selling is an original Minneapolis Moline UDLX. Now, we've seen the restored ones, what they've done over the years, you know, selling for you know, 125, 150, seen them as high as 215, three on a Mecham auction. But this one, absolute original paint, and the look of it is amazing. And last night I checked the online bid was already up to 120K. And again, I think 6 o'clock Central tonight, almondvintagepower.com. Check it out, folks. And they also have a 1937 John Deere 62 tractor, only 78 of those made. That was already up to 41K. Oliver, for you Oliver fans, a 2255 mechanical front wheel assist restored. That was up to 32.5 last night. So check it out. Uh, again, I'm at vintagepower.com. But check the podcast out. Kurt and I just yacked for about 40 minutes about the collector market. And Kurt is a great storyteller. Went to auction school when he was 12 years old. So he's lived it his whole yeah. life and loves old tractors. Just had a grandson. He grew up out driving Oliver tractors, and his grandson's name is Oliver, so hmm. perfection. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think you need that UDLX. That would look good driving around Rochester. Oh, man, put a machine repeat <laughs> logo on that thing. I'll just roll down the window and wave. And you know, Hey, they built that thing to work in the field all week and drive into town Saturday night, so I'll tour around yep. Rochester. And that. I'll come down to uh, Denver, <laughs> Iowa. We'll have a good old time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, you got another big auction coming up on Saturday. We better get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Folks, Saturday, I'm going to be in Winchester, Kentucky. If you're in the area, please come out. It's Taylor Auction Company. This is a retirement sale for Grayson Farms. And let me tell you, we might have some more records. They have 28 tractors wow. on this auction, a full line of equipment, hay tillage planning, beautiful equipment, but Man, they got a 4455 two-wheel drive with 3,549 hours. They got a 4055 deer two-wheel drive, I think just over 3,000 hours. A 93 model, 4960, 3,637 hours. And I could go down the list. I mean, they got a John Deere 7630 with 1,300 hours, 2755, 1,382 hours, a pair of 6430s, like 1,500 hours. Man. Beautiful low-hour deer tractors. I'm going to be there Friday, do a little preview video, talk to the owner, and then I'll be there on site Saturday. We'll film some stuff for our TV show and YouTube channel. So 
Winchester, Kentucky, here I come this Saturday. It's going to be 28 be tractors. It, yeah, that's, an, it's, that's uh, an incredible list. Well, that'll make me come from Rochester, Minnesota to Winchester, Kentucky to film that baby because we're going to have a ton of fun. So buckle up, folks. I mean, the, the highest price I've ever seen on a 4960 is 114K. And the way things have been going, I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, like I say, it's, we'll be buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be fun. Yep. All right, buddy. Hey, you travel safe, Greg, and we will get a report on uh, on this weekend sale on Monday morning, okay? You bet. It'll be fun. Have a great week, Chip. All right. Thank you so much. That is Greg Peterson, Machinery Pete. Uh, okay, there are some... The landscape on carbon pipelines changed late last week. What does it mean for ethanol's future? We've got Jeff Cooper from RFA up next. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beach looking across the, uh, the grain markets. We've got mixed trade, but let's start with the gainers. Do you want to start with wheat or soybean meal? Uh, let's start with meal chip uh, okay. because that that market uh, it was under pressure earlier on and and uh, we've seen buyers come in underneath the market and, and now uh, trading more than 450 higher here in the front month contracts uh, uh, at mid morning so uh, good strong move to the upside that's helped pull corn off or excuse me soybeans off their lows uh, for yep. the day and, and trading just uh, modestly um, below unchanged at the moment. Uh, in the soy oil market, it's under pressure, so we got quite a bit of spreading activity going on within the soy complex this morning. Yeah, it seems like that has helped corn work up off of uh, the session lows as well. Yeah, uh, so not a lot of seller interest in, in corn today. Um, you, you mentioned wheat to it initially, and, and uh, it's trading to the upside, so that's helping to limit seller interest in, in corn. So just a modestly weaker tone in both corn and soybeans here at mid-morning. Boy, a surprisingly bearish cattle on feed report on Friday, Brian. Absolutely, and, and putting heavy pressure on futures as expected. Uh, you know, the, the on feed number as of October 1 was just fractionally up from a year ago, but the placements up sharply, marketing's down sharply, and, and uh, you know, that uh, combination is bearish and, and uh, really weighing heavily on the, uh, the cattle complex here to uh, open up the week. Yeah, and it's pulling the feeder cattle market down as well. I don't know if it's a one-off or a trend change but it feels like a one-off doesn't it yeah um we'll see where it goes from here but uh you know the initial knee-jerk reaction is obviously bearish absolutely all right we've got make that lean hogs under some light pressure this morning as well thank you brian pro farmer editor brian grady on markets now at united animal health we all share a love for animals We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. AgriTalk is brought to you by Bravant Seed. You want someone who knows how to do the whole job. 
That's what ag retailers do. That's why Brevant Seeds are available only through retailers. Find yours at brevant.com slash retail. All right. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Glad that you were interesting. Yeah, that was an interesting oh. abrupt ending to the bump. <laughs> Glad that you're with us. Payouts are so overrated. <laughs> are we still working to get Jeff? No, we got him. Okay, we've got him. Let's go ahead and get him in here then. Jeff Cooper is the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, and he joins us right now. Jeff, man, it's been too long. It's good to talk with you again. Yeah, well, good morning, Chip. Thanks for having me this morning. You bet. You bet. Glad that you're here because I, we need to get some perspective on exactly what is happening with with the pipe with the carbon pipelines. Uh, yeah. Navigator CO2 Ventures canceled the Heartland Greenway project last week. What is your reaction to that? What is it? How does it change the the landscape going forward? Well, it was certainly disappointing news to hear, Chip. Uh, we we uh, obviously have a number of member companies, and there are many other ethanol uh, facilities and 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 other agricultural facilities that were intending to utilize the the Heartland Greenway CO two pipeline project to sequester uh, their carbon and and reduce the carbon intensity of the products they're producing. So we were uh, certainly discouraged and, and disappointed to see that project being canceled. But but I will say this, uh, it doesn't distract or, or really deter from our industry's uh, goal of continuing to reduce the carbon intensity of ethanol. And, and right. our members have pledged to reduce the, the CI to the point where we're net zero on an emission standpoint by 2050 or sooner. And there are other ways to reduce carbon intensity. Certainly, these pipelines um, are important in that, but there are other ways to do this, um, and we're going to keep you know keep working toward that goal. Yeah, yeah. Now, Navigator cited that uh, the regulatory uncertainty in Iowa, in South Dakota, in particular, but eminent domain uh, was a, a source of controversy on on uh, the Navigator project. And it's got to be, it's a source of controversy for Summit Carbon Solutions, for Wolf Carbon Solutions as well. But there are still other pipeline projects that are in the works. Do we have a status update on on either of those projects? Well, yeah, we, we do. And I, I think the, the bottom line, Chip, is those project developers continue working with landowners uh, and and you know with farmers and and other property owners uh, to to navigate some of those difficulties and some of those challenges and and that communication continues to happen. There are are places where the the route is going to need to change slightly. There are places where it's already changed slightly to accommodate uh, the needs of different landowners. Um, you know we we are hopeful and and remain confident that. Uh, some of these projects will continue to move forward. Um, yeah. There's another project that that doesn't get a lot of attention that uh, in, in Nebraska, where the pipeline is already in the ground. It, it it was a pipeline that previously transmitted natural gas, and it's being recommissioned uh, to ship CO2. Um, and so we're certainly hopeful that that one moves forward quickly. 
but yeah, the the other two that you mentioned, we you know we we continue to uh, watch those very carefully and and hope that the concerns of of landowners are being properly addressed and and that that, that we're able to see those projects move ahead. Okay, very cool. You know, and we've got a great example up in North Dakota of a uh, of a plant that is in the right geography, so it can just take a pipe out the side, run it straight down in the ground, and they're yep. sequestering their their own carbon on their own site. Uh, and their carbon intensity score has got to be next to nothing, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah, it, it is. When you when you consider that gasoline is around a hundred grams per megajoule, that's the CI for gasoline. Uh, that plant that you're talking about in North Dakota is down around 25 or 30. Wow. Uh, so that's about a 70, 75% reduction compared to gasoline, uh, you know, with other technologies, with a few other tweaks and, and bells and whistles to that process, they could absolutely be at a net zero carbon footprint, um, you know, fairly yeah. soon. There there are other plants uh, across the Corn Belt um, okay. that that also happen to be sitting on top of the right geology and, and, and may have the ability to sequester on site and, and therefore would not need um, to rely on on pipelines. And, and so, uh-huh. you know, we, we do expect to see some of those projects move ahead in the years to come. Okay. What, and, and what about projects like, um, like green methanol? It, yep. it, it, is there a future for that in, in the ethanol world? Well, yeah, we, we think so. We, we think there are lots of other things you can do with CO2 uh, you know, in addition to just putting it underground and sequestering it, CO2 has value as a feedstock yeah. for further processing into other chemicals and, and, and into other products. Um, there is, you know, there are several technology providers out there looking at taking CO2 from ethanol plants and converting it into green methanol. Methanol is, and, and then that, you know, that's a fuel that uh, can power marine vessels and, and has other applications. Um, there's, there's several other technologies looking at the use, the utilization of CO2, uh, into other products. You know, another kind of interesting one that we've been hearing about recently is the injection of CO2 into, you know, concrete and and cement building products. So you're, again, you're basically permanently sequestering, uh, this, the CO2, and it's also helping, uh, to, to produce a, a, you know, useful product. So, there are lots of other alternatives that are being explored and, and looked at very carefully by our producers. So why is it, why is this CI score, the carbon intensity score of zero by 2050? Why yeah, is well, that such an impro- important effort? Yeah. Great, great question, Chip. And I, I think, um, you know, if you look at this administration's announced objectives, they, they want to get to, to, zero emissions on a net basis, zero emissions of greenhouse gases by 2050, economy-wide by 2050 or sooner. Um, The transportation sector is a huge source of emissions. Um, And so we we know that it's going to be one of the primary focal points for efforts to reduce emissions. It already has been and, and, you know, for years and will continue to be. So we think if we're able to position ethanol and, and show that ethanol uh, substantially reduces emissions today and can achieve a zero CI carbon footprint, uh, that that's going to keep ethanol very competitive in the future and and, and really allow liquid fuels uh, to con- continue competing with electrification and some of the other technologies coming at us. 
Well, this is this is where we start talking about ethanol to jet fuel, right? Absolutely, and that's that's really another reason that this is so important. Um, in order to qualify for some of the tax credits uh, around sustainably aviation fuels, and and really those tax credits help make the process economical, but you have to show that you're a fifty percent greenhouse gas reduction uh, compared to conventional jet fuel, and really one of the best and quickest ways to get below that 50% threshold for ethanol, it would, you know, would be through carbon capture and sequestration and some of these other technologies that are out there. So um, that's why it's so important that if we are as an industry going to, you know, participate in some of these really exciting market opportunities moving forward, it's incumbent on us to get that carbon intensity number down. Yeah. Yeah. How about the letter or the the legislation, excuse me, it, it, that is oh, countering EPA's tailpipe emissions. Tell me about that. Yeah, so there, there has been some legislation introduced uh, recently in, in both yeah. the House and Senate um, that, that effectively would prevent EPA from using the tailpipe emission standards as a you know, mandate in disguise or a de facto mandate for electric vehicles. Um, right. and, and frankly, we've been saying all along, and again, this is all related to what we've been talking about. If we are measuring carbon emissions on an apples to apples basis, uh, we think certain liquid fuels and ethanol specifically are going to compete very favorably. And, and, yeah. and we're going to be able to show that you can get the same emissions reductions out of renewable fuels that you can get from electrification, but only if we're counting carbon on an apples to apples basis. And, and unfortunately, EPA's tailpipe regulations only look at the tailpipe. They completely ignore what happens upstream of the vehicle. And so they count electric vehicles as zero emissions vehicles. Right. Um, and yet liquid fuels are on the hook for, you know, the emissions that come out the tailpipe. And it just sets up this false comparison and false choice for automakers and really forces them to increase their production of electric vehicles when that may not be what their customers want. So, Right. That's really the focus of, of that legislation is is re-leveling the playing field uh, so that automakers are able to provide the, the choices and options that their customers are looking for. Yeah. Okay, good, good. And then, you know, there's a couple of issues out there that we need to stay focused on. Not a lot of time left here, Jeff, but the Next Gen Fuels Act and year-round availability of E15, another couple of items near the top of your priority list, right? Absolutely. And and we are looking for any and every opportunity, Chip, uh, yeah. to, to move that legislation before the end of this year. Uh, of course, that's been made more difficult by the fact you know, that we don't have a, a speaker in the House. We can't get anything through the House right now. Man. Uh, but we are will be at the ready uh, for when they get their act together. We, we got a couple of things we'd like to see move. Yeah, absolutely. Let's... Uh... Let, let's get something ready for that Next Gen Fuels Act. I still like the opportunities that that, that, that piece of uh, legislation could provide for ethanol producers out there. Jeff, great to talk with you again, man. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me, Chip. Have a good one. You bet. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO, Renewable Fuels Association. I'll be right back. At United Animal Health, we all share a love for animals. We have devoted our lives to agriculture and to the well-being and productivity of animals. 
With our guiding principle to always have the best answer, we listen to the animal and let the animal tell us what works and what doesn't. We know that if the animal is healthy and productive, so is the producer, the consumer, and our communities. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on machinerypeat.com. Welcome back to AgriTalk on this Monday morning. Great conversation with Machinery Pete. Really good info from Jeff Cooper at the Renewable Fuels Association. Would have loved to spend a little bit more time on the um, on the Next Generation Fuels Act with Jeff. And the reason is, if you if you are a regular listener of AgriTalk, you've heard me say this before, uh, but. Uh, there's new listeners all the time. It, the thing with the Next Gen Fuels Act is we need to get the automakers involved in this. We need to get a commitment from the automakers to make that next generation of a combustible engine, that internal combustible engine, uh, so that it, they can use the higher blends, the higher octane. Uh, they'll be lighter weight. They'll burn cooler. They will be higher compression. They'll all be turbocharged. The it, it's it, the technology is known. The technology is there. It is technology that can be used right now, right now, in in cars, in light duty trucks, and they can put it to work. Um. Why we're not going down that path instead of trying to make this leap to EVs when we don't know how reliable the the energy supply system on 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 you know for electricity to charge these batteries is going to be when we we are so far from what will be the technology in those batteries that make EVs make sense. We're so far from that technology right now, it's not even funny. So making the leap now to EVs before we've really got the batteries figured out just seems silly. And to me, it's it's decades away. So let's do what we can now to reduce those greenhouse gas emissions. And man, oh man, the Next Generation Fuels Act, along with the... Uh, the uh, a commitment from the automakers the the engine makers to to use the technology that they know works and to put it in vehicles that that uh we can we can put in dealers lots i think makes a whole lot of sense okay i've mentioned a couple of times during the show here this morning that friday's catalone feed report that feels like a one-off. Now, what do I mean by that? We got this big increase in the number of calves that entered the feedlot in September. It was expected to be down 2%. Instead, it was up 6%, 6.05%. Now, how, how does something like that happen? How do you get a miss by 8%? Um one of the ways that that happens 
is weather and a lack of grass and a lack of forward forage. Um, something that is incentive to that cow-calf producer to run those calves through the sale barn and move them into the feed yard at a much quicker pace than what was anticipated. Now, weather is is fine and dandy. It's all very important. But if you want to look for the incentive <laughs> to move calves into the through the sale barns and into the feed yard, just take a look at the daily price chart for November feeder cattle. November feeder cattle topped on September 15th at 268.25 and started to dive. Now, it it happens in a hurry. If you've got calves that are all vaxxed and ready to go, all you're doing is waiting for the right time. All you're doing is waiting for that moment that says, doggone it, it looks like this market is topped. I better get them in there. They got it in the middle of the month. You can make a difference. You can make things happen with that much lead time before you get to the end of the month. So I think the market triggered the big big movement as well. Uh, guys just uh, wanting to catch the top of the market as quickly as they can. Now, marketing's in September. This was a bit of a head-scratcher for me. Uh, the The average trade estimate on it was 93.2% of year-ago levels. Came in at 89.4%. There was one less day in September of 2000, one less business day, one less processing day in September of 2023 than there was in 2022. But it's not like people couldn't look at a calendar and figure that out. So that was built into the average estimate. At least I would assume that it would be. Um, but the fact that it came in that slow, even with weights staying current, you know, for today's market staying current, the marketing's suggests to me that the feedlot and the the availability of market ready animals it's not like all of a sudden it's going the fundamentals on the supply side of this market have changed and it's going to become an overwhelming an overwhelming supply of cattle coming to market but as we make our way through november and clean up some of these calves excuse me through october and clean up some of these calves that did not get marketed in September, that might, again, take a look at the daily price chart. That could be part of the reason that it's been difficult to build some upside momentum in the cash cattle market, and that's taken the steam out of what's happening in the uh, in the uh, live cattle futures. But but like I said, the, the supply situation in this market has not changed. It has not changed. Some of the dynamics of how that supply is being managed has changed, but the overall supply, it's not like all of a sudden we've, we're flush with cattle out there and, and everything's going to be okay on the beef side, beef supply side going forward. All right. Hey, thank you so much for listening this morning. Like I said, Davis is out today. We'll have Michelle Rook in this afternoon with the markets, and joining us will be guest analyst Carl Setzer. From Consus Ag Consulting. That's a title change for Carl. 
We'll find out what's going on with that this afternoon at when we gather at 206 Central right here on Agritalk.